face arrest and potential death. God, we think of places like India and uh, Indonesia, that persecution is high. The Middle East and the Horn of Africa. Lord, places like Somalia, where there is few, if any, Christians. God, we pray for those few, that they would stand firm and be bold for their faith. God, we pray this morning as we gather, Lord, that we would be a people alongside them that gather to worship and delight in you, regardless of our circumstances. That we would take great joy in what you have done for us in Christ. Father, will we pray the same prayer too for our sister church in Fairman Baptist Church and their pastor Larry Miller. God, we pray for this sister church to make much of King Jesus this morning. For the people to worship you rightly for who you are. God, be with them as we ask that you be with us. God, we pray as we come to the preaching and teaching of your word that you would do a work in us, that your word would not return void, but that it would cut to the depths of our hearts, that it would expose sin that needs to be exposed, that it would cause us to delight more in you as we see more of your greatness and what you have done for us in Jesus, your beloved Son, who went to the cross on our behalf. Father, we ask for you to move now through the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was thinking of how to start a sermon like this in Ecclesiastes 4, it took me some time. But yet one thing that kept coming to mind was networking. Today in our time, we have things like LinkedIn and, and Facebook that are networking tools. They're ways of connecting us with different people of different times and places. Funny enough, my freshman year in university, Facebook came out. At this time, most in this room would have not been allowed access. You had to have a college email address in order to, to sign in to Facebook at first. And it was neat to be able to connect with people that I had been apart from for the last two years where we moved at the end of my junior year of high school. It was neat to be able to connect with those from Soddy Daisy, Tennessee and, and catch up on life, what life had led to the last two years. Now in LinkedIn, I've got connections from the University of Tennessee, from Soddy Daisy, from Memphis, Tennessee, from uh, the University of Memphis, the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, from Louisville, Kentucky, and the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. All of these are, are different connections that I have made throughout the years. There's something that links us together in each one of those connections. Some of it's a job, some of it's a, a hobby and interest, some of it's location. All of these things unite us throughout time in these different ways. But there's one thing that unites us who gather this morning to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is Christ himself. And that's what I want us to look at this morning as we open up in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Follow along with me as I read the word of the Lord 
from Ecclesiastes 4, beginning in verse 1. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who were already are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also was vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led, yet those who come after or come later will not rejoice in him surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind over the last few weeks we have been studying this book of ecclesiastes it has seemed very morbid at times and it will continue to see so in the first point this morning ecclesiastes is a book of the preacher king examining life seeing what is happening around him and seeing the vanity, the endless toiling and striving after the wind, which is called our lives. The end being death for all. That is what is to come for all mortal man, is death. So how in light of that do we live? And that's the continued theme of Ecclesiastes, showing us how to rightly live. So therefore, if I'm have studied and understood this text correctly, the main point of the text, and therefore the main point of the sermon is this. Christian, we are not intended to labor against the evil under the sun in isolation. God has given us the local church to press against this great evil together. Let me repeat that. Christian, we are not intended to labor against the evil under the sun in isolation. God has given us the local church to press against this great evil together. We're going to look at this in two points. Point number one, evil under the sun. Point number two, living together under the sun. So let's look at point number one, evil under the sun. 
From Ecclesiastes 3.16 through 4.16, we see this phrase, I saw a total of five times. Solomon is saying, here is what I have seen as he writes down Ecclesiastes for us. I have seen this. I have seen that. We see it there in 3.16 and in chapter 4 and verses 1, 4, 7, and again in 15. He's saying, here is all the evil that I have seen with my own eyes in the world around me. First, he has seen the oppression under the sun, and I'll give each of these four as we go. There in verse 1, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. Solomon sees a great evil at work in the world. He sees the oppression that is going on. This was going on in Solomon's time, and it is going on still today. It has happened all throughout history in between. Today in China, there's the Uyghur people who are being persecuted by other Chinese nations and, and people groups. This people group has, is being oppressed and put in uh, genocide camps, much like the Jews in Nazi Germany. Southern Baptists, thankfully, just took a stand to speak out against such collectively. Praise be to God. May we continue to do so. This is the oppression, though, that takes place in the world around us. It took place again with the Jews in Nazi Germany. They were put in concentration camps, forced to labor, and put in death camps in which they were put in gas chambers that would kill them. This is the oppression that is in the world around us, and many, many others face such oppression today. It is the evil that is under the sun and no wonder Solomon here in verses 2 and 3 goes on to say, And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Friends, if, if we live in a, a godless worldview, we are going to be like Solomon in seeing all this oppression and say, what is the point of it all? There's no hope. There's no joy to be had. It's better to not even have been born than to live in the oppressed world around us. The evil that is in the, under the sun. It's no wonder he does this. It's no wonder there's people who are in our city and in our nation and around the world who live in a hopeless life. Because they look at it without God being the center focus. They look at it and see there is, they think there's no God. Therefore, what's the point of it? Life is oppressive. It's hard. All I can do is speak out and fight political rallies. And, and if that doesn't work, then, then it's hopeless. It's over. That's the world that we live in and the world around us. That's the lost world on our outside of our doors. That's the city in which we sit. No wonder people turn to drugs and alcohol and everything in between to find some way to numb the pain of oppression. Brothers and sisters, we live in an evil world, evil that is under the sun. That is the oppression that faces us and those around us. 
whether we want to admit it or not, this is the world in which we live in. We must see the evil under the sun in oppression. That's the first of the things Solomon noticed. Second, there is an evil seen under the sun in discontentment. Look with me here at verse 4. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. What drives people? It's saying here mostly that it's an envy of what neighbor has. And yet we see in the Ten Commandments a call to not envy what our neighbor has. And yet, this is what drives most of what we seek after in this life. We seek something because we see so-and-so has it. We seek a better house because Betty Sue across town has a nice house, and we want what Betty Sue has. We strive to make a, a name for ourselves and a career because we want to outdo Billy Bob who was before us. Or throw any other name you want in there. We watch HGTV, which there's nothing wrong with, but we watch it and become discontent with what we have because we see what somebody else is doing and how they're improving their house and discontentment creeps into our hearts. This is an evil under the sun. This is what Solomon saw. We toil, we envy what others have instead of being content. In fact, the American dream actually works against the ways of contentment, the ways of God. Because the American dream says, have a, a nice two-story house in the suburbs with 2.5 kids, have the nice car, have the nice cushy job where we can retire at age 63. For many, that's not possible. We become discontent as we seek this American dream, as we, we seek these things, because this is what society and the world tells us we should have. We become discontent in what God has given us. Instead, we want more of. This discontentment is an evil under the sun. And yet it's not just those that, that are striving and toiling in such a way, chasing after these things, thinking they can somehow achieve it. Look there in verse 5 where it goes the opposite end. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. So in verse 4, we have the one who's toiling and striving after these things, thinking they can find contentment in them. And then in verse 5, we come to the one who says, I'm never going to achieve this, so I'm just going to sit here, twiddle my thumbs, and do nothing and be lazy. Oh, now I'm hungry and nothing left but to eat my own flesh in starvation because I have been slothful and lazy. These two ways of discontentment are what fulfill, are, are filling our society and filling our hearts because we want more of things or if we can't have them, life is no longer worth living. This discontentment brings a dis trust, and a failure to rejoice in God. This discontentment is an evil under the sun. This is the second thing that Solomon witnesses that is an evil under the sun. But then he goes on there in verses 7 and 8, where he says, again, I saw vanity under the sun. This is the third thing. 
I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. The third evil is that of toiling and working in isolation, thinking that we need to, to isolate ourselves, do this all for our own self. We work and toil for our pleasure, not anyone else's. We, we build up our, our income and our savings accounts for ourselves to enjoy with no one down the road. There's a reason that the, the millennial generation, the generation I, I'm part of, that keeps putting off growing up, keeps putting off marriage and children because they think, oh, I must work hard to, to get to a certain point before I take part in marriage, before I have a family, before I invest in something else, because I have to make a name for me. I have to build this self up. They're working and toiling for what? To be miserable throughout the 20s and, and into the 30s and even 40s. It's a vanity under the sun because life was not intended to be lived and worked out for simple gain that you cannot share joy with others. Life was never intended to be in isolation. It was not intended from the days in the garden, let alone outside the garden. To work and live in isolation is not good. It is an evil under the sun. God has called us not to live in isolation, but with others. Then, fourthly, we drop down to verses 13 and following. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who, knew, uh, who no longer knew how to take advice. And then in verse 16, it goes on, there was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Here you have the example of the old foolish king who no longer took advice. He had grown uh, to be old and thought he no longer needed counsel and advice in it. And then you have this young prince who grew up poor, took advice, took counsel, and yet even he, as he grew into being a king, was not remembered. There was no longer rejoicing in. So both extremes are seen as vanity because neither are remembered. This too is an evil under the sun. As we've continued to see throughout Ecclesiastes, there is no remembrance in death. Again, no how many of us could remember back six generations in our own family line, let alone six generations within history? There's nothing we will be remembered for in this. The point Solomon is showing us here is, yes, it's a morbid feel, but it's showing us here is the evils that we face in this world. Here's what we will endure. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when these things we will see within our own lives. Each of us will witness some form and shape of these evils under the sun. But what do we make of it? One, we need to recognize there is evil under the sun. 
Friends, we live in a fallen, in a broken world. Sin is having its full effect on the world around us. Creation itself is groaning, longing to be restored to how God created it. We ourselves are full of sin. Even those of us who have placed our faith in Christ still have sin at work within our members. We sin against one another. We sin against God. We need to see the fact of the brokenness of this world that we live in. Because until we do, we can't understand our need for God and our need in one another. We must wake up to this reality that we live in an evil world. This is the evil that we see under the sun. But it doesn't end there. Let's shift to point number two, living together under the sun. I'm going to pause right here and say the biggest thing we need to see in this passage is our desperate need of Christ. We live in a world that is ruined by sin, and our only hope is Christ himself. Friends, today is the 4th of July, but I do not gather here to celebrate the 4th with Americans. I gather with Christians to worship the fact that we have a God who sent his son to die on a cross to redeem us from our sins, who is pierced for our transgressions. I do not gather to worship our nation. I gather to worship our king, the king of glory. And I pray that this is the same king you rejoice in today. Let us rejoice the fact that Christ died in our place so that we could have eternal life. Let us rejoice in the fact that he rose again from the grave, defeating death and will come again and defeat death once and for all. This is the king we have. This is the king we are called to worship. But as we worship him, we cannot do this alone. We desperately need one another. And that's where verses 9 through 12 take us. So let me read the whole of these again. Verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Again, we were never intended to live life alone. In Genesis 2.18, we read, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Here, pre-fall, everything is still worshiping God. There, no sin has, has entered the world, and God creates a helper fit for Adam. He never intended his creation to be alone in isolation. If he did this so in Eden, how much more so now on this side of Eden, on east of Eden, in the fallen and brokenness around us, and the evil under the sun that exists? We need one another. 
our brothers and sisters, as I prayed for around the world who endure persecution, do you realize that many of them just 12, 13 hours ago would have gone through the jungles and secret, having to look who's following them to try and gather? They know the risk. For them to be caught is likely prison and potential death in certain areas. And yet they gather. They gather despite the risk because they know they need one another. They know they depend upon one another. Brothers and sisters, there's beauty in doing life together in community. And God has given us community in and through the local church. It's his blessing and grace to us. Because why? Because two are better the two lie together for warmth. The two withstand and the threefold cord is about living life together. I know when we see the threefold cord being tied together, it's often in wedding ceremonies. It's a great application of this verse, but it's not its main application. The threefold cord is not simply about marriage. It's about community, multipleness. It's about plurality. And it applies to the local church. It would have applied to the people of Israel as they were gathered. And it applies even to us today as a local church. We cannot withstand the evils of this world alone and in isolation. Because when one is alone, who is there to pick up? Somebody will overcome when we are alone. Satan will overcome as we try to make it through the Christian life in isolation. There are those today that would say, you know what? I, I love Jesus, but I do not like his local church. Guess what? The church is the bride of Christ. It's his instrument. It's his plan. There is no plan B. The local church is God's means of saints gathering together, united in Christ. And that's what binds us together. To be a member of a local church is more than sitting in the pews, having a name on the roll, more than being at the next business meeting. Being a member of a local church is a commitment first to Christ and saying, I am his and he is mine. And second, it is about us committing to one another the local church is about people committing to serve, to love, to care for one another. All the one another's of scripture, guess what? They're played out in local churches. We see in the epistles this written to local churches in which these one another's are called to be played out in. What a gift God has given us in and through the local church. And it is through this local church then that we combat this evil that is under the sun. Let's walk back through some of these, these four examples of the evil under the sun. Again, I saw all the oppressions. So how do we fight the oppressions of the world? Listen as I read Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. 
because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former uh, deviations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. God has done this in Christ and together in community, in the local church, we remind one another of these truths, that God is our comfort in the midst of mourning, that God is the one who has delivered us from the oppression, and he, in the end, will judge all the unrighteousness of this world, that he will right the wrongs. This is what our God has done in and through Christ, and we will forget this in the midst of it if it weren't for one another. Each Sunday as we gather, as the gospel is re-proclaimed, we hear this reminder being called out to us to remember who we are in Christ, to remember what Christ has done for us. And we do this as we speak truth into one another's lives, as we do life together. As we see brothers and sisters who are hurting and facing oppression and evil under the sun, we're able to remind them, remember who you are in Christ. That Christ loved you and bought you with a price. How much more will he keep you and sustain you? Christian, this is our God. This is the God who has rescued us and redeemed us. This is why we need one another reminding us of this. Even looking at the next one, the the fact of, of the one working to envy or in slothfulness, the fool who folds his hands. We need one another to remind us why we do all that we do. We are to work hard. We are to do everything with excellence. Why? Because we do it all to the glory of God as we see in 1 Corinthians 10. We do all to his glory. We need this reminder when things are tough, when we want to lay down and quit, or when we think that our our striving or toiling is for some other purpose. We need that reminder that it is all to be giving glory to God and Him alone. This is what our God has given us in one another as we speak this truth to one another, as we speak against slothfulness and laziness to one another. We need each other to help in this. Likewise, down in verses 13 and 16, in that of the old foolish king and the young one who would take advice, it's a reminder that we need counsel. In Proverbs 15, 22, it says, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. God has given us one another to speak truth and help one another. There are blind spots we have in our lives and we need others to speak truth into them. I thank God every day for my wife because she knows those blind spots in me and gently corrects me on those and calls me out for those. We need one another speaking truth. I thank God for many 
who have done that in my life. And I pray that we all have people that will speak truth and give us wise, godly counsel in how we should live our lives. Why? Because Proverbs 21.30 warns us against ungodly counsel. It says, no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can prevail against the Lord. No matter how wise one thinks they are, no matter how much understanding or how much counsel, nothing opposes God. So therefore, the wisdom that we get and the counsel we get needs to be rooted in godliness, needs to be rooted in God's word. But it is through that wise and godly counsel we need to each surround ourselves with because we need help, whether we want to admit it or not. We need one another speaking truth into our lives. And finally, going back to verses 7 and 8, the one who would live in isolation, the solo Christian. There is no category in the Bible for a solo Christian that is a Christian who is not connected to a local church. None. It's unbiblical. It's unthought of. Today we have live stream and, and there, there was a good purpose of doing live streams. But it has created a culture in which people can sit on the couch and watch being distance and at ease. There are those who would come into the church and, and say they belong, but they're the last in the doors and the first out never being connected to others. That's isolated Christianity. That's ungodly Christianity. We need one another. And the way we can be with one another is to be connected to one another, to know one another, to let people in. We need each other in our lives. Turn with me to Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. If you don't have a personal Bible, I invite you to grab the one in the pew in front of you. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. Give a moment. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. Hear how the early church gathered and did community. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As the early church gathered, they had all things in common. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the word, the teaching of Christ, to fellowship, breaking bread, and prayers. They devoted themselves to having everything in common. Brothers and sisters, I want us all to do heart checks right here. What does our fellowship with one another look like? Does our fellowship with one another simply mean that we all are, are on the same role? 
Or does it mean we are investing in one another's lives together? That we have fellowship together. Fellowship is more than talking about the weather and sports and fishing. Fellowship is talking about the deep things of God together so that we can encourage one another and stir one another, even from our scripture reading in Hebrews 10. We have to assemble together to have fellowship. There's a reason on the front of your bulletin. Take take out your bulletin and, and look on the front of your bulletin. You see the logo of our church. You see the name Central City Baptist Church. And what do you see below it? Gathered on. Gathered on this date. That's not by accident. To be present, to be a a gathered body, an assembled body, is to be present physically. We can't be known apart. We can't be known if we're missing church all the time. We can't have people speak into our lives and help hold us accountable, encourage us, even rebuke us as we need it if we fail to assemble with others. This is essential. And again, this is is Jesus' plan, not mine. Jesus is the one who has called us to the local church. Jesus is the one who has called us to assemble ourselves together in the means of discipleship together. Brothers and sisters, let us see the grace God has given us in the local church. And let us begin to live life together in deep community. Help us to speak these truths to one another. Help us to to know one another well enough that we can say, hey, you know what? I know you're struggling with this. Remember who you are in Jesus. Hey, I know you're, you're going through a rough time. Hang in there. God has not left you. He is not forsaking you. Let us dive deep together. We need one another. The threefold cord is not easily broken. Therefore, a church that stands united in Christ is not easily broken by the evils under the sun. We cannot endure them alone, only together. Brothers and sisters, let us stand firm together in our mutual faith in Jesus Christ. Let us remember the fact that we have made promises to one another as we have joined this local church together. Let us stir one another, encourage one another, rebuke one another. For this is for each other's good. Even the song we introduced this morning Go back and listen to it this week. It will drive home these points again and again through music because it talks about the local church and our mutual faith in Christ. Let that be what unites us. Let us stand firm upon it and rejoice. Brothers and sisters, there's an evil under the sun. And the only way we press back against it is together in Christ, as we are his body and his church. We are his bride, and he has given us the job of being his embassy here on earth to advance his kingdom. Will we do this together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you have given us in and through the local church
God, we pray, Lord, that we would be a people that regularly and faithfully assemble ourselves together, that labor together for one another's good. God, we ask that you will do this in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.